Hey guys, welcome to the Cultivate and Keep podcast. It's the usuals, myself and Corey. And yo, yo. Um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. So um, as of now, you know, there's a lot going on with, you know, the recent um, death of George George Floyd and with the, the protests, you know, there's a, a lot of big things happening. So we thought that we would do something a bit different tonight. Uh, Miles McPherson recently, um, so last Sunday, Corey, he gave that message. Yeah, it was. So yeah, he gave a... Uh, essentially a message about racism and kind of how we should respond with everything going on. So we thought that we would give a two or three minute intro and then we're going to play that clip for you guys. If, if you already heard it, feel free to skip to the end. Um, but then at the end of the episode, after that clip plays, we're going to kind of talk about it and kind of give our thoughts on it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a quote unquote normal episode yeah. scheduled, uh, but I felt when we both thought it would be really tone deaf of us. And uh, sort of what we want to talk about today too is, you know, what is there to do about it and what's our role in this as two white guys talking about racism. Um, and so basically, I mean, we just kind of also wanted to preface this with just saying that, you know, we're coming to this in a place of uh, repentance and, you know, wanting to be corrected and with an open mind, compassion, you know, just an attitude of listening. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like we have the answers. And that's also why we're playing this clip because I felt like it was really powerful um, I mean, hearing it from a black pastor, to be honest, I didn't really know how to kind of formulate my words or, uh, I didn't feel like it was right of us to just speak on it alone. Um, and so we're simply here to amplify the message that I think that God wants us all to hear, amplify Miles's voice, um, amplify the black community's voice. And so, um, we want to use the right words and phrases. So forgive us also if there's anything maybe that we misspeak or, you know, feel free to correct us in anything. Um, and then one other thing to keep in mind before we play the clip is, uh, it's about, I think about 45 minutes long ish. Um, so I mean, it's, it's a, it's a full message, right? But I would encourage you just to listen through it all. There's a little bit of volume difference. It's not, um, technically equalized. And so it, it gets really quiet and really loud depending on, uh, your volume. And I'm going to do my, my best to kind of match it to our volume and, and the way that we're recording but you might have to turn it up or down at certain points. So just know that coming into advance. Okay. So let's listen to the clip. I was praying today, what would be the first thing I would say in my message? And, and I, I just want to give a, kind of a warning and a prayer request. Um, my prayer request is that I want to be loyal to my father in heaven and what I say. I want to have loyalty to God above our country. I want to have loyalty to God above all politics. I want to have loyalty to God above everybody I know, black people, white people, Hispanic people, so I can speak very honestly from my heart because my heart is broken. I love my black people. I love my white people, I love my Asian people, I love my Pacific Islanders and my Latinos um, in my church in this country. But I, I ask for prayer today that I can be honest and loyal to God in what I say to you. Because this is not a black thing, a white thing, a Hispanic thing, a United States thing, a police thing. This is a God thing. We are in a spiritual battle And my prayer is that I can be honest and that you would receive what God says to us, that he would lift all of us up to a whole nother level of unity and love for one another. 
And so I'm going to ask everybody where you're at. And by the way, please hit the share button. We got to get this message out. But I'm going to ask everybody where you're at. If you can get on your knees with me. Because we have to pray that God, the God of heaven, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead for us. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will come on our country and unite our hearts and heal our land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, he will hear from heaven and heal our land and forgive our sin. We need to turn from our wicked ways. So wherever you're at, if you haven't got on your knees, please get on your knees wherever you're at. I can't imagine the pain of all the people around the country right now. But where we need to be is on our knees. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Lord, we as a country have sinned. There's been abuse of power, pride, bigotry, racism. But at the end of the day, it is about our sin that we have turned away from you. We have disregarded the value of human life. We have disregarded the image of God in every single person. And so we come to you and say sorry. I come to you as a pastor, Lord, and say sorry. I pray you fill my heart with more love for all the people that are in my life, more than I've ever had, more patience, more compassion, and that the uniqueness of people that you have created I would honor even more, serve even more, be patient like I've never been patient. And I pray for everyone listening, no matter where you're at, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Filipino, uh, Pacific Islander, no matter where you are from, how much money you have or don't have, that the Spirit of God right now would fill your heart with love for God and for people. No law can make us love God. No law can draw out of us the love of God. Only the Spirit of God. So I pray today, Pentecost weekend, that the Spirit of God will fall in the United States of America. And that we will stop acting and claiming to be a Christian nation. When we're acting like everything but. Lord, start with me. Start with our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a hug if you're next, next to somebody at your house or wherever you are. Give somebody a hug. Get your Bible out. If you have your Bible, uh, you can just turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Um, a, two years ago, a year and a half ago, I wrote a book called The Third Option. I am going to be speaking from this book. You can get it on Amazon. I'm not going to do a big commercial, but this book has everything I'm going to say today pretty much in it and then a bunch more. Um, when I was eight years old, um, Martin Luther King was killed. And I remember thinking, feel, I remember what I felt, I remember what I thought. What I felt was how could they do that? Similar to what we're feeling now. It was so wrong. But I also remember what I thought. I thought, what do we do now? 
when I wrote that book, I was, wrote that book for the purpose of giving us solutions and answers of what we can do now. Here we are, two years after I wrote the book, and we're in a worse situation than we were two years ago. So today I want to talk about how we got divided at a very basic level, but more so ideas on how we can come together. My prayer is that you would receive for you, as I said in the beginning, that you would let the Holy Spirit speak to you about your life. I know you can watch TV and hear the news and always want to point fingers at that person and that person, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you specifically about your life. A little background, I was, um, uh, I grew up in New York. I have a white grandmother, had a white grandmother, she's passed. She married a black man from Jamaica. When she was in Jamaica, her parents sent her from Jamaica, West Indies, to Jamaica, Queens, so she wouldn't marry a black Jamaican. If you've ever been to Jamaican, Queens, there's a whole bunch of black Jamaicans. She meets this black guy, my grandfather, they start dating. My grandfather couldn't go in the front door of a house. He had to go around the back door. They ended up getting married. When they got married, her family disowned her. I never knew her family. To this day, I don't know anybody from her family. They live 15, 20 minutes away. We never heard of them, talked, spoke about them until I was an adult. I just, we just figured, you know, all of us brown people. And then there was Grandma Dorothy. We didn't know where the white lady came from, but she was our grandma. And that was it. It was, it was, it was just the way it was. But that was my grand, one grandmother's side. I have another grandmother who was half Chinese and half black. Mr. Wong. Wong Kim Fong is his name, but they called him Charlie. I don't know where they got Charlie from. But Wong Kim Fong came to Jamaica West Indies and started messing around with the women there and had my grandmother. My grandmother married a, a, a man there, uh, my, my grandpa, who was the only grandpa I knew. He was also black. I grew up in a black neighborhood, was raised by the United Nations. I went to school in a white neighborhood for eight years. When I grew up, it was just after Jim Crow laws ended, uh, which... For all you might not know, Jim Crow was when it's uh, equal but separate. Whites went to one uh, bathroom, blacks went to another. Whites drank out of one water fountain, blacks drank out of another. Blacks sat in the back of the bus, whites sat in the front of the bus. Blacks got on the bus in the back door, whites got on the bus at the front door. Jim Crow laws was all separated. Rosa Parks broke that, sat in the front of the bus and said, I'm not getting up. That's what started the civil rights movement. I was born right after that ended. So where I grew up was all black pretty much, and when I went to school, it was 100% white. And every day I crossed over the street called Ocean Avenue and went into that white neighborhood, I had anxiety for eight years, from first grade to eighth grade. That was my world, separate. But yet we played on football team, we had people that got along. And I started wondering, even as a young age, how can we get along, how can we do this? And I want to propose to you that the devil has created, done a great job of dividing our country us versus them. Wherever you're at, I want you to say out loud, us, say us, and say them. The devil has done a great job of dividing our country, us versus them. The third option, which is what this is about right here, the third option is that we honor what we have in common. In other words, you can think about us versus them where it's those people and my people. But the third option is that we say, no, that we have more in common than our differences. There are, we have more things in common than our differences. So I want to talk about how we can focus and bring unity by focusing on what we have in common versus focusing on what we have differences. Now, 
I'm going to put up three pictures here today because I want to give you some history of what's going on. And, uh, and the only reason I do this is because I had someone the other day say they, they still don't understand what's going on, which I don't know how that could be possible. Ahmaud Arbery in February was jogging down the street and two white men, a father and a son, were in a car, pickup truck, and another white man in the car with a camera. They hunted him down and shot him. For 72 days, they did nothing with that video. The police had it, but they did nothing with that video. And the only reason protesters, because of protesters, the police put it out, and three men were arrested eventually. Breonna Taylor was in the bed. They came in her house. The police came in her house and shot her. They had the wrong address and shot her. She was an EMT. And we all know George Floyd. When George Floyd was killed, I, again, I processed what I was feeling, yes, we were all feeling angry, but what I was feeling was a sense of powerlessness. And then it hit me for the first time in 60 years that all my life I have felt this sense of powerlessness to a white culture. Now, let me say this. This is not about black versus white. This is about sin. Racism is all over the world. And if you go to other countries, it's black on black. You go to other countries, it's... Korean, North Korean, South Korean, it's all kind of cultures. But my experience was that I felt this sense of powerlessness when I saw him kneeling on his neck, that it was a statement that we are powerless, powerful over you. There was a dehumanization, dehumanizing of George and a whole culture of people, which is why there's so much outrage. I am so hurt at how the devil has put us against each other. And my prayer is that I talk, as I talk about the third option, that God would give you a vision on what you can do, what you can do to make a difference. Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, we're going to see Joshua spell out the third option and help us understand how we can walk in it. It says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And he said, are you for us or our adversaries? This is so important. When you think of an us versus them culture, us is all the people who are like me. We're going to get to that in a minute. And the them is all the people who are not like me. Us is all the people who don't look like me or who don't identify with me or who don't have what I have. All the people I think are not on my side. And then them is everybody else. And in our culture, it's either black against white. That's the devil. Division. In our culture, it's either for or against the police. Against the devil. Again, it's the devil. Everybody on the police are bad or everybody on the police is good. In our culture, it's American versus immigrant. We got all this division and that is a spiritual battle. And even though people can hurt you and people can oppress you, it doesn't mean that all of them are one thing or all of you are another thing. So here's Joshua. He's getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land, exactly the land that God promised them. And this commander, this guy, this angel, actually it's Jesus, is standing there with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua comes up to him and says, are you for us or them? In other words, or adversaries. Look at this. Adversaries. In other words, if you're not on my side, you are my adversary. This is exactly what we're seeing in culture right now. If you're not on my side, in my mind, and part of my group, you're my enemy. And this is where we got to get away from. Because when we start labeling all those people as one thing, 
we consider them their enemies, we start drawing lines in the sand. And so he says to the commander, are you for us, all us Israelites, or our adversaries? And the commander of the Lord, look what he says, the commander of the Lord's army says, no. Now, think about it. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not an answer. In other words, do you want ice cream or, 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 or cake? And you say, no. Well, it's got to be one or the other. Those are the two options you have. And the commander of the Lord's army says, no. There's a third option. What we're seeing today is we're seeing a lot of people who are angry, and I get it. There are a lot of people protesting, you're angry. A lot of people who are not protesting who are angry. A lot of people are not protesting who are brokenhearted. A lot of people protesting that are, that, who are not protesting that are crushed, scared, tired of the system. The system is broken. It's unfair. What happened to George, Ahmad, Brianna, and on and on and on is wrong, unfair. The system has to change. But we get this this us first them mentality where all of them are bad. All of them are not bad. So the, the commander of the Lord's army says there's a third option. Look what he says. Says, but no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, now what does my Lord say to his servant? The, if, you, if you go to, if you go to, I'm in the United States. If you go to Britain, if I go to UK and I went to the the uh, embassy in the UK, I'm walking down the street in the, in the UK. I'm in the UK. I'm in London. But as soon as I step on the property of the U.S. embassy, I am now in the United States of America, and the laws of the United States of America apply to me when I'm on that dirt. But as soon as I step out of the embassy, I'm now back in the UK, and the laws of, uh, of London apply to me. What he said to, to, to Joshua, he said, Joshua, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am Jesus. I'm God. This whole promised land thing is my idea, not your idea. And so when you say, am I on your side or their side, I'm on neither one of your sides. I'm on my side. And this is what I was telling you in the very beginning, that I, <laughs> I want to be on God's side. And God is about justice. But God is about justice God's way. We definitely need justice in this case, in all these cases, no question. But we have to do it God's way. And so with Joshua, with the commander of the Lord's army says, Joshua, this is all about me. This is not about you. This is not about doing it your way. This is about doing it my way. And trust me, God wants justice more than any of us. God brings about a better form of justice more than anybody. God brings about a better form of righteousness, fairness, uh, equality, than more than anybody. That's why we have to do it his way. So when he told Joshua, Joshua, you are now on holy ground, you have to do it my way. You have to do it my way. I'm here to tell you, church, we have to do it God's way. Politics ain't going to fix it, even though the laws need to be changed. Only God can change people's hearts. And it has to start with you. You have to ask yourself, how far are you willing to go to be like Jesus? Can you pray for the protesters right now? Can you say, Lord, I love them and I want them to be close to you? I don't love what they do, but I love them. Can you pray for, can you say the words Black Lives Matter? Not the organization, just the fact that George matters and everybody who looks like George matters just as much as you. Can you say white lies, man? Of course, that's, that's the, the theme of the day. I mean, that's what culture says. We get that. Can you say that black lives matter? For real. 
the same as white lives? Can you say justice for everyone is the right thing and the only thing to do? And so as we're on the, the, the embassy ground, as we're on holy ground, we say, Lord, we want to do this your way. Let me give you a little sociology. Sociologists refer to how we divide ourselves by groups. It says in-group, out-group, the way we sort people that are either like us or not like us. In other words, all guys are a group. That's one group. All ladies are a group. Whites are a group. Blacks are a group. Rich are a group. Republicans are a group. And Democrats are a group. We go on, 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 on. And you may say all protesters are a group to a degree. Once we identify our group, we give in-group bias. In-group bias is our tendency to give preferential treatment to people who are like me. And when you, when you have people in your group, you walk into a room. If I walk into a room and there's football players over there and baseball players over there, I'm going to be more inclined to go to football players and give preferential treatment to those people. And that's what we see in our country. We go to people who we are like, and we give favoritism to people who we are like, and we give preferential treatment to people who we like. That's just how racism works. It's our sin nature. It's all about me, because people who are like me are better than people who are not like me. And when we get asked to bless and be encouragement to someone else, we feel like we're, we're violating something. Now, I want to give you nine characteristics of in-group bias, because this is what racism feels like, looks like, and what it does. In-group bias, nine things. I am more comfortable with those who are like me. I am more inclined to spend time socially with those who are like me. I am more patient with those who are like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It is easier to communicate with those who are like me. I assume that I will get along easier with those who are like me. That means when you walk into a room or you walk on the street and you see someone who like me, you assume I'm going to get along with them so you treat them better. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions than those who are like me. So therefore, when someone's like me, I got all these positive things I'm thinking, all these assumptions I'm making about those people. That's in-group bias. That's what we see every single day that people express to people who are like them. The opposite is true, that when you see people who are not like you, you do the opposite. You do the opposite. Now, here's the thing. When you identify the people who are like you and you form that group, you have this pressure that you have to act according to the rules of the group. And if you act inconsistent with the rules of the group, you're a sellout. So if you don't toe the party line, as they say, and say what all the people in your group say, do what all the people in your group say, then they take your group card. <laughs> they take your black card, your white card, whatever, you, whatever card you got, they take it. What we're seeing now in the country is all these groups are being challenged. I was... Uh, one of the things that hit me, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, was when I saw George killed. For the first time in my life, I realized that 
the racism I had experienced had put a cloud of powerlessness over my life. I felt powerless to the white culture. I felt like white people can do whatever they want to me. That was my experience. It's from what I experienced. It's from what I saw. Doesn't mean all white people are bad. This was my experience. And when I saw that, it triggered. And I'm going to say something to all my white brothers and sisters. You have power. The white culture has more power than black culture, which is why those things can happen. And racism will be eliminated when we work together, but we need your voice. We need your voice. We can't just have people of color screaming that this is wrong and speaking out. And I want to speak to my church. I need your voice. Because there are people in your family right now who are hurting. don't, Don't get me wrong. I know you're hurting. But we've been hurting. And I want to encourage you to make your voice known. Make a video with your face and your voice saying you denounce this violence. Saying that you want equal justice for everyone. Say that you believe that a black life is just as valuable as a white life. Say it. Because I can tell you for years we have heard nothing. Nothing from a lot of people. Trust me. I know a lot of white people do great things. Don't get me wrong. But as I said in the very beginning, you have to deal with whatever God speaks to you as an individual. And we want to help you, give you a voice. We do want to help you give you a voice. But we need your voice because the group that we're all in says, here are the things you should and should not say. God says, I want you in my group. I want you standing up for righteousness even if it risks some criticism. So this is your in-group. Now here's your out-group. I am less comfortable with those who are not like me. I am less inclined to spend time socially with those who are not like me. I'm going to avoid you. I am less patient with those who are not like me. I give the benefit of the doubt less to those who are not like me. You give the benefit of the doubt. I express less grace when mistakes are made by those who are not like me. It is more difficult to communicate with those who are not like me. I don't assume, listen, this is an assumption. I don't assume I will get along with those who are not like me. Think about this mentality. If my group looks like this and I assume I'm not going to get along with you and I'm going to avoid you, guess what happens? There's a division. That's us versus them. And it comes from ignorance. It comes from sin. It comes from arrogance. It comes from lack of information, lack of relationship, whatever it is. But this is what happens. I don't assume I will get along. I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are not like me. I possess less positive assumptions about those who are not like me. In other words, when I see you because you're not in my group, I don't understand you. I assume something different than when I am with people who are like me. I assume. So before we get into solutions, I just want you to understand whatever your world is, because we all have world, we all have a circle of friends, we all have a a self-identification, how we identify, what we believe about people, that you would step out of that mentality and say, Lord, I want to stand on holy ground and I want you to speak to me about how I can love beyond my group. How I can put myself out there to understand what people in another group is. That when I see people protesting that, Lord, yes, I may not agree with, not may, I don't agree with, and you as well, don't agree with the looting and all kinds of stuff, but what's going on? Those are people made in your image too. Help me understand. Instead of saying those people and me. 
So I'm going to give you five things you can do. Number one, acknowledge that you have blind spots. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. A blind spot is not knowing what you don't know. Um, I grew up left-handed. By the way, if you're in your house right now, just raise your hand if you're, left, if you're left-handed. Raise your hand. Okay, God, I can't see you, but God bless you. If you're in, if you're right-handed, raise your hand. Whenever I do this in public, 90% of the room is right-handed. And I tell them that the world was made by right-handed people for right-handed people. For example, if you're right-handed, if you're in school, your desk was right here on your right hand. You, put, you can write, put your elbow and write. You don't even have to look at your paper and you can turn over here and talk, talk to the girl next to you while you're writing because your elbow is braced. I'm left-handed, so I'm out here in space. So hold up, girl, and I can't talk to her because I'm drawing my name. But you had the advantage because you were right-handed because the desk was made for you. If you're right-handed, you can go to any golf shop and get any golf club you want, driver, anyone you want because the world was made for you. If you're right-handed, you can get a catcher's mitt, drive to the store, get a catcher's mitt, come back, be playing catch with your son, your daughter, while me, I'm left-handed, driving all around town, can't find a catcher's mitt. And you say, you, why can't you find a catcher's mitt? What, what's wrong? I got mine. And you think I'm making it up. The blind spot, is that's called right privilege. It's called having an advantage and more advantages than you even know. Right privilege. The person who's saying I can't get a job, he's not lying. He's not making it up. The person who says I didn't do that, that crime, he's not lying. I didn't make it up. There was, there was a, an incident just the other day where a lady in, in Manhattan called up and said some African-American man was coming after her. She had a dog off the leash. If you didn't see the video, he told her, asked her to take the dog off the leash or put the dog on the leash. It was an area where you're supposed to have your dog on the leash, and she just called up. Police said, African-American man is harassing me. He's blah, 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 blah. Please send the police. All she had to do was say he was black. And that was it. That was enough. And he was, please come. Oh, black man. Come to find out, that guy, Harvard degree, very educated, very professional, very compassionate guy, actually called people to leave her alone because she got death threats after this. Uh, She lost her job. I was talking to somebody. And this person said, you know, if I didn't see that video, I would have believed her. Just like that. It's a blind spot. You don't realize how much we have just bought into a mentality. And people, there's certain people who have experiences that we've been saying, this is wrong, this is wrong. And it's just been ignored. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. A social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. And all of us have grown up hearing certain information, seeing certain stories. And as we've grown up, we've come to shape how we see the world. And all the stories that we've learned from our family, from our friends, from our neighborhood, from our school, have formed a prescription through which we interpret the news, interpret what we hear, and it's created blind spots. And if you're on this side of the tracks and you hear these stories, when you hear someone complain, this is what you believe. And if you're on this side of the tracks and you hear a story and you, and, 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 and you hear the story and you interpret it from your perspective, you come to this conclusion. That means you have a blind spot. Acknowledge that you don't know the whole story. As a matter of fact, anybody in your out group, you by definition do not know. 
So whenever you hear something about somebody else, acknowledge that maybe I don't know the whole story. And instead of judging the person, instead of judging the situation, say, Lord, I need to understand better because I probably don't know the whole story. Acknowledge that you have a blind spot. Become a learner. Before you decide what you're going to do about all this, decide what you're going to be. And what you're going to be is a humble learner. It's easy to watch TV and make judgments, but be a humble learner. Learn really what this pain is all about. Number two, number two, rename those people as your brother, sister, or your neighbor. The greatest commandment in the Bible is Matthew 22. This is, all, this is awesome. Rename it. Look what it says. Matthew 22, 37. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, first, first and great commandment. As a believer, by the way, if you don't believe in God, none of this, you know, as a believer, this is our number one commandment. This is, this is the commandment that's going to change the world. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, which basically means you do what he says. And so all of us, as I said in the very beginning of this message, the number one thing we can do is obey God. Do what he says from the heart, number one. And if you don't do that, everything else is void. So we can come to church, praise God, and do all this, you know, preach the gospel and all kinds of stuff. But if we're not loving God, and, which means obeying God, which means doing what God says God's way, then everything else is, is disqualified. But then he says... The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, first you've got to love God. Number one, by the way, this commandment is superior to all the other commandments. Do that, number one. And number two, number two, love your neighbor as yourself. The story of the Good Samaritan says, who's your neighbor? Everybody. Your outgroup is your neighbor. So why is there so much division in the church? Why is there so much drama in the church? Why is there so much hypocrisy in the church? Why? Because we changed this commandment. See this word right here, neighbor? We decide when someone's not my neighbor, when someone's not my neighbor, I don't need to love them. So we give them another, na another name. We give them the N-word. Someone's the N-word, which I've been called more times than I can tell you. I'm not your neighbor. I'm this. I'm powerless. I'm less than. A white this, a black this. When I was a kid, we used to watch... Uh, cowboys and Indians. I always wanted to learn about the Indians, but they told us on TV that they were savages. They weren't neighbors. They were savages. They weren't people. They were savages. They weren't the same as me and you, well, <laughs> me or the, the white culture. They was, it was just a pecking order. And so when we, when we dehumanize people with labels, the immigrant this, the immigrant that, when we dehumanize labels with labels, we give ourselves permission not to love people. So let me ask you a question. What is the label you put on the police? What's the label you put on the protesters? What's the label you put on? What's the label you put on? What's the label you put on? Check one, two. Check one, two. Huh? One, two, three, four, five. What's the label you put on the people who are protesting? What's the label you put on the looters? When you put a label on someone less than neighbor, yes, people hurt us. 
Yes, people are offensive. Yes, people do the wrong thing. But here's what Jesus says. Number one thing, they got to be your neighbor. They got to be your neighbor. And once you elevate them to neighbor, and it is hard, it is painful, it takes you to deny yourself, to say, Lord, it's not about me. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. It takes you to, to, to say no to all your anger and your frustration and submit it to the Lord and put it at the foot of the cross. Once you can do that, then you can love. So by, but first, by putting, put that label back on everybody you know that they are truly your neighbor. Number three, acknowledge your brother and sister's color. I remember the first time someone told me they didn't see my color. I thought they had eye stigmatism. And I was like, man, that's jacked up. You don't see red, blue, green, yellow. They said, no, 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 I just don't see your color. And I was like, well, if you don't see color, how do you know I have a color that you don't see, that you shouldn't see? Our brain can process like 100 million bits of information per, per second, and 90% of our brain information comes through our eyes. Our eyes process depth, shape, motion, texture, and our eyes process color. You can't not see color. Even if you close your eyes, you see black. <laughs> so your eyes will always see color. I remember this girl, she, she went for a tan. She went to Hawaii and got a tan. She was trying to get this guy to date her. And she goes to Hawaii and she lays out in the sun seven days, for seven days straight and gets a tan. She comes back. She got a little uh, spaghetti strap on. She's throwing her, her, her tan, boop, 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 at, the, at this guy. And all of a sudden, she, she's complaining to me, like I got something to do with it, why he won't talk to her because she got all brown. And she was saying, my tan is so this, I look so brown, I look so bronze, blah, 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 blah. I said, it's amazing how people celebrate a tan they get in Hawaii. But when they get a tan in the womb, they invalidate it like it makes you less. Please do not say you don't see color. Because you do. And the only time you say you don't see color is when you see it. Here's what you need to do. You need to see it and celebrate it as beautiful, no matter what the color is. And don't let the color tell you what the character of the person is inside the color because you don't know. Remember, that's your outgroup. And even if you are two black people talking to each other, oh, you're having a conversation about color. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to make sure that you are, never say you don't see color. Now, it's one thing to say I'm not going to treat you like you are less than because of your color, that's different than saying you see it. But when you say you don't see it, you, this, you ignore the burden that comes with the color. And you're saying to the person, you're like me, when often that is not the case. The great theologian and philosopher Fred G. Sanford, if you don't know who Sanford, he's uh, Sanford's son, he's on Sanford's son, he was in the show and he got robbed. And the police came and said, Fred G. Is the, uh, was the perpetrator, colored. And he said, yeah, he was colored white. In our culture, it's an us versus them culture, you have white people and people of color. That's what the culture says. God says all of y'all are colored. You're just different shades of brown. We have to learn to see from God's perspective who we all are and how he made us more similar different. We all have muscles, bones, heart, liver, kidney. We all love sleep. We all love our pillow. We all love our food. We want to have a great family. On and on and on and on and on. And most importantly, we all bleed red and we're all made in the image of God. 
And God says, I'm going to make all these different shades and all these different hair textures and all these different eye shapes and all these different accents for my glory. And who are we to say that's less than that one? That's more important than that one. When the image of God is same in every single person, it's not less than one person from another. And that we honor everybody as being made in the image of God for the purpose and glory of God. Number four, view every conversation as a race conversation. Because you see color, every time you talk to someone, you are having a race conversation. It doesn't mean that you're having a racist conversation. But if two white people are talking, you know that person's white, and you talk to them accordingly. If two black people are talking, you know that the person's black. Or if a Hispanic person and an Asian person are talking, they know, they know what they see. They know what they hear. It's one thing to say, I acknowledge where you come from or where I think you come from. It's another to acknowledge what you think and what you're thinking. It's a whole other thing to assume that what you think is fact. Then in other words, if you see someone that is a certain shade, that you assume that they're arrogant or you assume that they're dumb or you assume that they're privileged or you assume that they're whatever. That's where the problem comes in. I was, I was at a golf course walking to my car, my clubs. And this kid rides up in the cart. He worked there. He had his shorts on, his little college shirt, white kid, 25 years old, built, combed hair, clean-cut looking dude. He said, you want to ride? I said, yeah. I got in the car. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Iowa. I want you to imagine. White kid, 25, nice built, hair groomed up, from Iowa. So in my mind, I'm thinking, his white kid, good-looking kid, in shape, from Iowa, thinking maybe he's an athlete. What's he doing out here? I had all this stuff going through my head because I was having a race conversation. Those things weren't bad. They were even questioned. They were inquisitive. I was curious. And I was taking in the data that was in front of me to try to come up with conclusions based on my social narrative from the past. So I'm thinking all this in my head. And then I say, what is your name? And he says, my name is DeAndre. <laughs> Check it out. He said it just like that. DeAndre. Now, that messed up my whole, my whole thing. Why? Because I was having a race conversation. I was having a race conversation. I was like, the guy from Iowa, that's a fact. He's white. That's a fact. He's in shape. Maybe he's an athlete. Maybe, you know, maybe he plays golf, whatever. And his name is DeAndre. I've never heard a person from Iowa, white kid, named DeAndre. So it kind of threw me off. Every time you talk to somebody, let them self-disclose to you who they are. You can have your assumptions, but put your assumptions over here and say, let them self-disclose to you who they are. James, the Bible says in James, says, my beloved, let everyone be swift to hear. Listen, slow to speak and make judgment and slow to anger. When you meet people, give them opportunity. Don't assume because of what they look like, what they do, that they are one thing. If you have those thoughts in your head, it happens subconsciously, so quick, you can't stop it. Put it over here. That's fine. Put it over here. And then say, Lord, let me do an investigation. Next one. And this is the last step, most important step. Give your heart to those who are not like you. The Bible says in John 15, 13, give your heart to those who are not like you. Greater love has this than, than one would lay down his life for his friends. This state of emergency we're in, the tendency is to, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to defend my group. I'm going to defend my honor. 
Jesus says the opposite. Greater love is this, that you lay your life down for your friends. What does that mean? Lord, how can I love better? How can I understand better? How can I walk more in obedience? That's what Jesus did for me. How can I do those things? There was a baseball player named Rod Carew. Rod Carew was 18-time All-Star, 328 batting average, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Mr. Everything. When he was 71 years old or so, he had a heart condition and a kidney condition. Needed a heart transplant, kidney transplant. At the same time, there was a white football player in the NFL, Conrad Rulin. And he was 27, I believe. He had a brain aneurysm, went into a coma. He died. His heart and kidney were, tr- were transplanted, in, donated and transplanted into Rod Carew. When Conrad was 11 years old, he met Rod Carew and came home and told mom, I met my hero today, Rod Carew, because they live in the same area. And he said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a pro athlete. Well, he did. He grew up to be a football player. But his heart and kidney went into this black Panamanian, Rod Carew, Panamanian, brown, black Panamanian, into his body. His mom somehow found it out. I don't know how, he did, how that happened. But his mom called up Rod Carew and said, I think you have my son's heart and kidney. And Rod Carew said, Will you, do you want to come over and hear your son's heart beating in my chest? They're friends. The only way we're going to solve our problem in our country, my, my friends, is if we put our heart into it. If we start playing politics, trying to protect our territory, protect our in-group, protect our own self-interest, we'll back to be back to where we started. Matter of fact, we won't leave where we're at. It doesn't work that way. It only works when we give our life and lay our life down for our friends. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come down and say, do this, do this, do this, do Jesus came down and laid his life down for us and said, if you want the kingdom of God, it's here. If you want forgiveness, it's here. If you want a new heart, it's here. If you want a new life, it's here. If you want clarity about your life and clarity about your purpose and power to execute it, it's here. And if you don't, you don't. But I've come, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what we see in the community. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That's what God offers us. In a minute, we're going to pray. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, I should say, is that you would choose Jesus. Many of you who are watching, you've asked Christ to be your Savior, but you're still in your corner. You're still with your in-group saying, this is who I am, here's what we believe, and those people are over there. And God says, that, enough of that. The wall has to come down. And it comes down when you say, Lord, I am going to love others like I love myself. I'm going to allow you to love me. And, and I'm going I'm to love you more faithfully. And, and I am going to allow your love to flow through my life like never before. So for some of you, and when we pray, for some of you, you're going to, I hope and pray that you give your heart to Jesus. But then there are some of you, the majority of you, it's time for you to do something. It's time for you to voice your desire for justice. It's time for you to voice against injustice. It's time for you to speak out for those who can't speak out for themselves. That has to be now. It's not time for us to hide and say, I hope this goes away and I can go back to the way my life. That, it's not time for that. Life the way it was, I don't know. Between corona and this, I don't know. God is shaking stuff up. and he's like, I want my people to step up. I want the gospel to step up. I want prayer to step up. 
I want the Holy Spirit to pour him. His, I want to pour the Holy Spirit out on the United States of America. We live in San Diego, wherever you are, so God can do his thing. We can't wait for the government and politics. Now, laws have to happen. Don't get me wrong. Reform has to happen. Don't get me wrong. But the heart has to change. And if our heart doesn't change, we're just going to make laws with loopholes. Third option. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about him. Okay. So now we are going to basically summarize, comment on a couple of points. Um, I don't know about you, but when I heard it, I felt like it was really, really eye-opening. And I really, really appreciated hearing it from Miles, especially really respect Miles. And I feel like he did a great job of really bringing out a lot of the important points, especially from a biblical perspective and not just a cultural cultural or societal perspective mm -hmm. alone. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he, because um, this was in reference to the book he wrote, and I think that he gave a message about this like a topic similar to this um, when he came to Future Quest a couple years ago. If I mm. remember correctly. So oh, right. some of the stuff to me sounded familiar. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's such a good speaker. I think the way he like explains and kind of like relates to you is compelling. It makes you want to listen to it more. So yeah, mm -hmm. that was really good. And um, I think uh, most of the time when I hear someone say, I have five points on X, whatever, Nick, explain their five points. Normally it's like the first one or two, like, eh. And then at the last, you know, one or two, like hits home. I feel like from the beginning it was like great, you know, the the very first one he talks about. I'm not sure if you want to go through his points. Or yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but just basically acknowledging that you have like blind spots, and I think for me, like with everything going on right now, uh, with everyone posting. So I mean, I think when coronavirus started, it was like everything you look at, all the news articles, all the every social media platform is like the same old stuff. People just posting about coronavirus. And I've, I've just felt like over and frustrated. I think in the last like two months i've had a few different weeks where i just like stopped listening or yeah. going on social media and then now the death of george floyd um it's like a new spout of post and, and whatnot and of course you've seen people say if you're not if you don't speak up if you don't post then it means that you don't care and and whatnot i've kind of felt torn like i don't like i don't everyone is sharing their opinion everyone is saying something and you hear a lot of people kind of along a lot of uh like white people essentially saying like I don't get the big deal or, you know, you know, they kind of, you know, have what they have to say. And I've kind of felt like I don't want to be like that. Right. I don't want to like yeah. share my thoughts and just either a add to like the murkiness or b come across as like insensitive and not caring. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of felt like I don't really know what to do. And, um, I love like the example he gives of like the right hand and left hand and, and Man, like, the school desk. Yeah. I just like from the very beginning and I kind of thought, okay, like I think he's on like just that first point of really acknowledging like there is an issue and that you may not know the answer and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I found it, I, found, I thought he did a great job of sort of explaining because one of the things, um, that I think is hard, uh, and, and that again, we have to acknowledge these blinds. I mean, he calls them blind spots, right? But, but these are really just, um, perspectives that we're not privy to, that mm -hmm. we're not privy to, you know, mm -hmm. we didn't grow up we just don't understand it. Yeah. We don't understand it. We haven't gone through it. Well, and and yeah. we have to acknowledge that. Um, there, I mean, I love also how he talked about, you know, basically, so the, the beginning, the third option is basically God's option. Mm -hmm. So instead of a us versus them, um, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's God's people, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, uh, and it's not, not seeing color either, but it's also accepting and acknowledging everyone and loving them for who they are. But he talks about this idea of the in-group versus the out-group. 
which is basically like people like us versus people not like us. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so fascinating because, you know, I've heard before in the past about how basically human beings are inclined to, uh, to gravitate towards people like them. Uh, but also, but not in the context of race or of color or ethnicity, more in like interest like and humor dislikes, and yeah. like, yeah, likes, dislikes, like all the nerds congregate, mm-hmm. all the athletes congregate, all the, um, people into, uh, the same TV show congregate. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's a very similar attitude and it's like the most kind of like primal egotistical kind of thing inside of us that. Uh, that it gets down to race and the color, which mm-hmm. is super unfortunate, but it is a very natural sin that we have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, the, I mean, the right-handed versus the left-handed thing. Um, I, and I think that's that's real. I, I feel like for the first time when I felt like I, to be honest, kind of understood really, I felt like I kind of grasped what right, white privilege is. It's like this world is made mm-hmm. for a white yeah. person and a black person doesn't feel like it's regardless of if it is or not. And of course it depends on who you are, where you grow up, all the different dynamics, but I completely understand that they would feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives me, you know, it helps me understand. Yeah. So I, I've been feeling this this whole time from when it's all started, like, um, like I, I clearly know what happened was obviously wrong. I, I don't, I haven't, right. I don't think you could talk to anyone that would tell you that it is not wrong. Very clear it was wrong. When I watched the video, I like felt like sick to my stomach actually. Like I just was very evidently wrong, but I still have felt this whole time really until like listening to this video, I've kind of felt like, but I don't understand like the response, right? Like I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, I just don't understand it. Like I don't, I don't get why it's causing such an uproar. And you know, you've hear a lot. I mean, even miles referenced like the, what was it? there was two other recent deaths right that two guy others, yeah that guy that was just shot down i mean there have been hundreds of others hundreds of course be, it's probably fair. not more but he uh we, we've heard of those i've i heard of those two from someone else a couple of weeks ago so we've we've right. known like this is so my point is like why is it this one why is it this one that's getting crazy and so i've kind of felt like i just don't understand it and i think from the very beginning when he first started off his message i was like oh like it's totally cool to like acknowledge that like that you don't understand and you, you may not for a while right <laughs> it might take a little mm-hmm. while and so I think that was like a good like spot just to start, you know, because I, yeah. I for sure have, have felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple more points I'll, I'll get to later, but the the second one to kind of roll through and kind of, you know, just comment on a couple of his points uh, is to rename those people as your mm-hmm. brother and sister. And, you know, he references uh, the first greatest commandment and then the second greatest commandment, which, uh, you know, the first one is to love God with all of your heart, soul and mind. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it makes me think too, I, I can't remember if he, uh, well, no, he, he did reference it, but he kind of breezed over it a little bit, you know, but actually quite a few times, um, in the new Testament, uh, Paul mainly references like, uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. And which is actually a very like ethnic kind of conversation if you think about it, because the Jews were kind of the outcasts, but they were also God's quote unquote chosen, chosen people. The Gentiles were the normal people. They were the the secular. They were, you know, all the people in the, mm-hmm. uh, basically the not Jews, right? And so Christ is the unifying factor. And, um, and I think it also just serves to kind of break down those barriers and really, again, just like pound it into your brain that there are no differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you, 
you can't see someone as different than you. Mm-hmm. And especially as a Christian, that this is the attitude that you should have. And I just feel like that was so like solidifying because again, I mean the, the Bible and we'll talk a little bit later too, but there is no like sin of racism and the racism really isn't directly addressed super specifically in the Bible, but these are kind of the supporting facts that you need to know about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thought I had, um, kind of a bit back on the first one, but talking about like the, um, with the group in group out bias, you know, I, I've known a few people that I've been like somewhat close to, um, of different race. And when all this, and since I've known them, I've never once heard them like voice, like frustration or hurt or concern about like feeling like oppressed or feeling like they're not accepted or whatnot. And when all this started happening, um, I've seen a lot of people start speaking up and basically, basically saying things along the lines of like, you will never understand how we feel. It's our time to step up our time to what, to, to whatever. And, um, it, like, it clicked like, kind of what Miles was saying, like, uh, that group in, group out, like bias. Like if you, you know, if you're of this, whatever group you're in, like that's the group you, you see and understand and you kind of are with. And I just, again, I think it's important to acknowledge. Like, I think he, I don't think he really, I don't think that's like a super like, um, what's the word? Like revolutionary point. You know, it's pretty right. like, like a basic understanding, but it's, it's like a, it goes a long way in what we're talking about. Like, I think it, that's at the core of a lot of this stuff. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, there's so <laughs> many, uh, I think about, I mean, growing up, right. There's so many like nonverbal cues. There's little experiences or things you pick up on. There's things you hear from mm-hmm. other people that all contribute to your worldview, which also contributes to how you feel and, uh, also how you're treated. And mm-hmm. it's exactly that. I mean, we can't go back in time. We also can't change the color of our skin, but we can understand that, uh, that we are not like them. And so we can't basically like lie and that we understand. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to, like acknowledge, uh, what's happening yeah. and, and it plays into number three, which is acknowledge your brothers and sisters color. And I, I really love this because again, I think it's one of those things that I don't know if I really knew how to articulate. And I mean, also part of the reason why we want to talk about it, like these are just a lot of like, honestly, really useful tools, but um, you know, he talks about how you can't say like, Oh, I don't see color because mm-hmm. it's like saying, uh, you know, that you don't, it's like, you don't, you don't taste flavor or like you don't feel textures. It's like, you, <laughs> but, okay. So what's, I was laughing when he talked about this because, he used? well, yeah, but also like, I think, uh, when he shares that story of like that person that said that to him, like he makes him just sound so dumb, but like, <laughs> that's like, like, we all know we've probably thought to say that at one point. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever have, like I've thought to say that cause it seems like the nice thing to do, but the way he breaks it down is like, no dude, just acknowledge it. Like, and it's cool. It's not an issue, but like, you see who I am. I am different than you. Like, let's talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny. Well, he says, <clears throat> uh, I thought this was super powerful cause it, it speaks to why this is important and why there is a distinction. Cause he says, Acknowledging color is the first step to accepting and loving someone for who they are. Mm-hmm. And saying that you don't see color is saying that you don't see who they are. And it's also saying that they're just like you or that you're just like them, which is not true. Right. Um, and it again, plays into this ignorance and white privilege of not being able to, to see and acknowledge the, the, the differences in someone else. Um, but I mean, I thought that was so powerful too. like, just acknowledging it is the first step mm-hmm. to, accepting and loving someone from who, for, for who they are, which is what we should all be doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then his next point says, uh, to view every single conversation with someone as a race consultation. 
and he gives that example of when he meets that that white guy from idaho and and whatnot and i like the idea of basically when you meet someone like give them an opportunity to disclose who they are and give them a chance before you assume who you think they are and um i think you know i think that um you know you, you hear like what people will say like not all protesters are looters and you know not all looters are whatever and so i think like yeah, i think he talked about that on this too but um it's super easy to like look at a situation where people are in and just kind of like name it right say that's who they are this is who this person is and etc and um i think just basically allowing that person to share who they are i think that's a super interesting point i never thought of you mm-hmm. know? well yeah he i mean i uh i respect it and i and i'm glad that he stated it so gently mm-hmm but there's, I mean, this could be like unpacked in so many different Mm -hmm. ways. I mean, it's basically saying like, don't judge a book by its cover, Mm -hmm. you know, like give someone the benefit of the doubt before you assume their identity and tell them who they are and all the kind of baggage that comes with that. And that's really powerful because I think that's, that's where a lot of the racism kind of stems from is that before we've even met someone before we even honestly know, I mean, there are people who, literally don't have any or have never had a black person in their friend group in their life and their school but they think they know and they have this worldview of all mm-hmm. black people or of any black person walking by the street uh or really any other minority or any other you know person that is different from the right any other person in the in the out group right um and so basically he's, he's trying to say like hey look you know with these things in mind um that you have blind spots and that you want to accept people for you know as your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that uh, you want to see their color. Also, let them tell you who they are, and not assume their baggage, and not assume all the things that come with that worldview that you have, um, and all the blind spots that you have. Uh, but um, because that's where a lot of the the protests and a lot of the discrimination. I think you know this. So there's you know. There's racial, there's racism, which is, you know, there's all sorts of forms of hatred or of abuse and things like that. But there's also discrimination of just treating people differently or passing people over, right? And I think this is where a lot of that comes from as well. Yeah, absolutely. Where you would pass someone over, you treat them differently just because of what they Mm -hmm. look like instead of letting them self-disclose to you. Yeah, and I think like practicing, just like letting, like um, kind of letting it happen naturally, like letting that person disclose who they are. I think that um, in that, like, new things would be discovered like new like just you probably you will probably have a much different experience if you haven't mm-hmm. not done it that way with anything right like if you and if you judge anything by like the book of its cover and don't give it give it a chance to get to know it or whatever like you, you're probably gonna miss out on a lot of things you're probably gonna you know there's opportunities that you won't ever see because you're just oh you know see it don't want it and if you explore that if you get to know it if you ex- expand and dive deeper like i'm sure more will be discovered and the same thing with when you meet someone mm-hmm it was interesting. I had a, um, I had a really random conversation in line at Sprouts uh, with a black man. This was just a, a probably about three months ago, right before coronavirus, before we could <laughs> all go through the line without a mask on and with uh, I was only say a few with your people mask on there. On? Yeah, um, and nothing to do with uh, his skin color, but he was a large, intimidating man like he was a, a very like muscular mm-hmm. i mean he was just like and he i mean he was probably six five six six like he's not the type of person that you would like 
be like, oh, whatever. You uh, you want to cut him in line. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, um, regardless, right? But uh, he started a conversation with me and he commented on, you know, what we were buying and was asking what we were doing that night. And, uh, and he kind of, he kind of did this to us. He kind of, um, he self-disclosed and he was telling us, you know, he was uh, from the South and how he loves San Diego because um, in, in the South, a lot of the white people don't do this. They automatically look at you and they judge you for your skin color. Whereas in San Diego, he feels like there's a lot less of that. Um, so we were telling him, you know, where San Diego born and raised. And he was like, Oh, that's so rare. And he's telling us about race and why he loves San Diego. And basically that he feels like he can be more of himself and how there isn't as much racism as there is uh, other places. But it was such a cool conversation. I didn't even realize it, you know, now the context of everything going on now that he would kind of tell us who he was, where he was from, his views, how he feels about people. Um, and you know, I, I try to um, now obviously much more intentionally, but I'm glad that I didn't uh, judge him before he opened, uh, he opened up and kind of told us about himself. Yeah. that's a good example. I I think uh, you wonder, like I've been thinking a lot, like with everything going on, like what, what are the, what are the protests? Like really like what's going to change for them for it to stop? I've been thinking about that. Like Mm. what's going to happen? Like, is it going to be you know, that all, all of those policemen involved in, in um, George Floyd's death will all be charged with first degree murder? And, and that, that, you know, when, once the case is done, like then it's, it's over or like, you know, mm-hmm. what? And you know, you hear everyone, a lot of public figures speaking out, like celebrities saying like, it's, it's more than this. Like it's the, yeah. this has been, in the, this has been in the works for a while. I have been thinking like, I saw one post saying like, you know, we're strong now, we're, we're going to be even stronger on day 30, day 40 of, of protests. I'm just thinking to myself, like, what actually, like, what is going to be, like, the turning point? Like, what is the mm. change that that people are wanting? And I, I've been thinking, like, let, if this does just die out, right, if this dies out and protests stop and kind of forget about everything, like, I wonder if, like, the, that interaction you just had, like, with that that black man, like, that I'm assuming that will be, like, a less common thing to happen in the future, right? Like, that, mm. you know, because of all the exposure and everything going on, I'm sure like people of different race are going to be more, more segregated. Almost like we're taking a step backwards. If we don't break through, if we don't like, if something big does not change that everyone is aware of, like it seems to me like we are taking a step backwards in a sense. I agree. I think it's a super delicate situation because like you just said, if, if the black community does not feel heard and there isn't change and there isn't proof of that change, Mm -hmm. then everyone else is losing their opportunity to, uh, to be less racist or to be Mm -hmm. less or to be more inclusive, um, to, to hear them out and to, uh, you know, for this to happen again, you know, and I don't want to jump ahead too far because I want to make sure again that we're kind of like setting the context right. But it's true that like, that conversation maybe would not happen. Uh, and it's kind of a scary thought a little mm-hmm. bit. I, yeah. I don't want that, you know, it's, um, and I think that's also part of why we need to listen closely and we also need to, to acknowledge it and accept it. And so the, the, the fifth and his final tip for us is to give your heart to those who are not like you. Um, and basically he talks about kind of this idea of a, of a neighbor, right? And it only works when we sacrifice for our friends and for our neighbors I thought that was really interesting. Again, he kind of breezed over this this idea of sacrifice and sort of what we can do. 
Um, but it got me thinking like, really, how can we sacrifice for the black community, for people who need change, for people like George Floyd? Um, you know, he talks about how it's, it's time to be, it's time to voice for injustice and be a voice for the voiceless. And he talks about how, you know, basically, especially white people because of white privilege, like they need our voices right now. Um, and it got me, you know, whether that sacrifice is your reputation, whether that's friendships or friends or relationships with the family, whether that's just sacrificing your own kind of like comfort. But it got me thinking like, really, what can you sacrifice in order to, to help our friends and neighbors, quote unquote, you know, the black community. Um, and I, to be honest, I think that's a big part of kind of the problem with a lot of white people is that they don't want to sacrifice anything. And for a long time, we, we probably have been just ignoring it and not accepting it and kind of just like procrastinating basically of being like, you know, making up excuses or just, uh, sort of making it not as big of a deal as it really should be or that it actually is. Um, and, and that can happen, you know, like it, we would have to sacrifice of, or I guess I'm kind of wondering like, what are we willing to sacrifice? And if we had the opportunity to, would we do it? Yeah. You know, that reminded me of like, it's kind of like a situation like, um, like within a, within a relationship, right? Husband, wife, like, uh, I think a lot of times as husbands, Corey, <laughs> we do things probably right, right. That bother our wife. Right. And, and we're, or, or we are aware of, of certain like underlying like mm. issues or, um, annoyances they may have. And it's kind of like, we know that, but it hasn't like been an issue for a few weeks, a few months. We kind of forget about it. And then, you know, a couple weeks go by and like there's two or three instances that like bring up like this past her or this whatever. And by the time three or four or five of this happening, it, it could be a blow up. Right. And and um, when it blows up, like I'm, I'm saying as if it doesn't happen, it happens to me fairly often. <laughs> so it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm working on. So when I if I do something with my wife that. Like I know, like this, there's an underlying hurt here or issue that you know, we're working through. And if I continually do something to cause her hurt and pain, by like the fourth time of me doing that within a few weeks, like it might, it may be like a bigger discussion, a bigger mm-hmm. thing to sort through. And it would be silly of me to say, oh, like, I, you know, I forgot, or oh, I didn't know this was still an issue because you haven't reacted the last couple times. And it's kind of like, no, like the issue's always been there, and it's it's my responsibility as the husband to like leave that. Um, resolve and lead that breakthrough you know and same thing with this like i think like you were saying like you know if we you know we can feel like we don't have the answers we don't know what to sacrifice and so it's kind of one of those things like we could sit on the sidelines we can just like well hey you know it's not it's not directly affecting me so just let it continue but like no i think what you're saying is i I agree like we are responsible i think that is one of those things like we need to be active and we need to lead the the resolve, lead the conversation, lead the, lead the moments of sacrifice, whatever that looks like. I think, um, like for me, from my standpoint, I think part of me feels like I'm down to help. I want to help. What do I do? You know, like what, yeah. what is the sacrifice to make? Like what is like the need to fill, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I, I don't think like back to that analogy of like the husband and wife, like again, it's on the husband to, to lead that, um, to lead the restoration, to lead the, the, the issue being resolved and being fixed. And I, I said like, I feel like we are responsible like, with this race to with this race situation to like lead resolve. But I I should say like the church, like you know, being in the church and being, um, 
like you know uh, of the family of god like we are responsible to really lead this and i think it's having talks like this of you know it's a way to make progress towards it yeah yeah absolutely i want to take a step back a little bit and just talk about one of the things that miles kind of concluded with which was that at the end of the day it's a sin problem Mm -hmm. and i think that's a good place to kind of like center ourselves a little bit in this conversation again as two white dudes talking about racism but um Douglas Wilson, uh, pastor, Mike from Meter turned me on to him. I've been following him for a few years now, but he shared an article and he talks about what is racism. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a good also like, again, centering point to kind of help us really understand what's going on. But he says, I, I do not believe that there's a sin in the Bible called racism. This is because ultimately there is only one race, the human race. But if we accept the common use of the word as, as it describes what the Bible calls tribes or nations, the sin resides in what should be identified either as racial vainglory or racial malice. And so basically like vainglory consists of pretending that your group is somehow inherently better, right? Or, um, basically like superior. And then malice consists of, you know, hostility or hatred or anger or, or abuse or, or harm in some way. And so if you really kind of like boil it down to what racism is, it is two things. You have kind of these two ingredients, which is pride on one end and then you have hatred on, uh, on the same end. Uh, it's, you know, believing that you are better than someone else, wishing ill on someone else. It, I was thinking it's, it's such a, um, it's such a like nasty weapon of the devil because it hurts both sides, right? It hurts the racist because it just, uh, it's like the stronghold of anger and bitterness and hatred and resentment, um, and, and hating your brother and sister, but it also hurts the victim of racism which also sucks because then that also breeds bitter bitterness and, and anger and resentment and, and all, all sorts of other sin. And it's, it's really just like this tool that the devil uses to create strongholds of, um, you know, miles talks a lot about the, the feeling of powerlessness and oppression and anger and bitterness and, and an orphan spirit. And like you said before, those are kind of the, the underlying issues and the underlying feelings and the underlying sins that are causing everything that we're experiencing today. And so to just say, or to just try to ignore it, or to just say, uh, you know, we need a couple different laws or we need to, I don't know, uh, donate to a couple of places. It's, I mean, those things are good, but they're also missing the root cause, which is sin at the end of the day. And that's what needs to be addressed. Yeah. You know, when Miles unbelievable as sin i like that because sin is not one thing it's like you you mean just Mm -hmm. listed off dozens yeah i've heard a few people throw out recently like what the issue is why this is why this is happening and a big one that i've heard a lot is um this is like a big cause of what's going on is because of the lack of fathers and i agree with that but i also think like that again you you can't i don't think we we should pinpoint like one Mm, bottom line answer but i think sin is the bottom line answer because it's like an umbrella it it encompasses so much yeah but with that said because i want to have you know both sides here just because it's sin doesn't mean that it's their fault right quote unquote their fault um because if it was if we if we just left it at that we would say okay well we're gonna pray for them or we're gonna i don't know try to involve them in it and that isn't really enough right to just say well this is your issue and i'm not going to help you our job is to address the sin in our own hearts mm-hmm. and in others' hearts and also to get to the root cause and to help them repent. 
and and us repent. I mean, I say them as in everyone, yeah. essentially. Yeah, the sin is on. Is there is no both like, sides? Yeah, exactly, both sides. I was gonna say. So, I mean, I wanted to um, again. There's a couple different just like points that I wanted to roll through, but one of the things I was thinking about was, in order to to really receive what Miles was saying and to really understand this whole sin problem, I mean, we have to kind of face the a couple of realities and facts and. I mean, one of them is that there is injustice. And again, I mean, I I wanted to like say these things out loud because I just feel like it's important to really help process it, like is to speak it out and to like name the sin and and to, and to name the the wrong that's going on. But we know that there is injustice. There's injustice with um, the way that uh, the black community has been treated. There's injustice with certain people who have been killed. There's injustice within a whole system and communities also, there are racists. Like you, we have to accept that. Um, there's been. It seems again funny, like now, with a perspective of everything that's going on. But I remember, just a couple of years ago, certain politicians saying that racism isn't a problem in America, and that they're, you know, you're crazy to think that there's still racism or that there's still racists in certain part of the country. But no, like it, it is very much still a thing. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit scary to think about. I mean sort of how recent racism has been in our country, especially. And we can't just brush it under the rug, or sweep it under the rug, because, you know, 70 years ago in the 60s was when uh, segregation, civil rights, all that was happening, you know? And so it's not too far off from, from our past. Yeah. Also, there is privilege on the, other, on the other hand, right? And I think that's also something that we have to accept and to wrestle with, and then to uh, to deal with, right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think um, I, my dad has always talked about like the right handy, like right handed, left handed, like difference. How like the world's made it for right handed people, hmm. and um, like I've always heard that. And so I liked how we compared that with like white versus different or white, yeah, white versus black. And um, yeah, I think that's super like like you're saying, just calling it out, just saying like, yeah, I understand that is something that is happening. And um, in this case, like that one's in our favor. Yeah. Um, I think that's good to do. Mm-hmm. Just to call it out and, and say, yeah. yeah, we, white privilege exists. There is privilege. Um, there's also privilege to certain mm-hmm. groups, you know, or, or sort of attributes besides race or color, but there is privilege for sure. Um, and then lastly, there is opportunity for propaganda and corruption and kind of alternative agendas, which that's the thing I wanted to also just name because I think it's important, um, especially with everything going on now, like what, what's actually happening in the world with the violence, the protests, the rioting, the good and bad. Mm. Um, despite it all, like there's always going to be opportunity. And so we can't just look at everyone protesting and say, okay, well, the black community is causing all this destruction. It's like, no, that, that's that's not it at all. There's mm-hmm. with any, no matter who's doing it, no matter what's going on, there's always going to be an opportunity for alternative agendas and for other people to come in mm-hmm. and sort of spoil it a little bit. Um, Cause we can't place blame on people who are blameless. There was, um, I mean, there's obviously been so many videos going around, but there's one in particular that really struck me, struck me because it was a video of this black lady taking a video, uh, protesting peacefully downtown in Atlanta, I believe. And this white couple in full kind of masks and gear and whatnot run up to a Starbucks and then they start tagging it. 
and she runs up and she says, Hey guys, like, uh, thanks. Like, appreciate it, but please don't because they're going to get mad at us and blame us Mm -hmm. for this. And we're down here peacefully protesting and we chose not to tag and we chose Mm -hmm. not to, to do this. And, and basically they kind of just like went around and like kept tagging and ignoring her. And then a bunch of other people came around. They're like, guys, please don't like, they're going to blame us for this. And uh, like, you know, we didn't ask you to do this. And so like leave basically. And then they kind of just like brushed it off and didn't apologize mm-hmm. and do anything. But that, I mean, that's sad. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that feels really wrong. That feels really, really bad. And so we have to also understand that we don't see the full picture mm-hmm. again, acknowledging our blind spots. There's a lot of blind spots in what's actually going on in the world today. Yeah. And so we have to be open-minded to the idea that there is propaganda, there is corruption, there is other people ruining it for the right people. Yeah. And I think that like along the lines of like when you acknowledge like, Hey, like certain groups of people have certain or have different types of favor, um, uh, have different, different favor than other people may have. I think it's important like then to have compassion on those people that don't, right. Those people that are, are in different, just natural situations, like, have compassion on them, understand that their situation is different. I think step one is acknowledge that you have privilege. Step, step two is then being compassionate with them. Mm-hmm. And I also like, I think like for anything that you don't experience personally, it's um like that, that's a hard thing to do. Like if you're not the one feeling it, then it's hard to like really feel, unless you have like a unique gift of empathy, but it's hard to really feel for someone right that that if you're not experiencing their pain and so i think um under understand you may never fully get it right like i was saying, yeah. saying at the beginning of this episode was hey like i i know what's been going on is wrong but i'm not fully understanding it like i just think that's just the reality like because it's mm-hmm. different like we may not get to fully understand it but i think just acknowledging that and like talking about it is step one yeah you know i think that's okay too mm-hmm. i think that's actually good that that we can't fully understand or comprehend because otherwise they would cheapen it for them. Yeah. I heard, um, I heard someone, you know, there's been dozens of like posts and videos, but I heard some, um, it was some, uh, like black celebrity speaking out. That's kind of what he was saying. He was like, look, like, I just want you to, to acknowledge that you don't like, un-, he's like speaking to a crowd. He's like, acknowledge that you, that you don't understand what's going on. And then that is okay. Like you don't have to like good. be white and like have a full understanding, like a full picture of what we're feeling. Just simply acknowledge that there's an issue and that you can't fully grasp it. I was kind of thought like, yeah, like I can fully get on board with that. Yeah. So what is there to do? Um, I just want to talk briefly and then we'll probably wrap up after this. But, you know, I was kind of thinking I wanted to also probably more briefly summarize uh, another quote from Douglas Wilson. But we could make some guesses, you know, about uh, police policy reform, law reform, you know, investing in um, communities uh, mentoring, donating, like volunteer. There's a, a whole bunch of things that we could do. Um, but also I, I think we have to, again, come with an attitude of listening and just trying to understand and just trying to, uh, you know, not take things into our, our own hands and say, okay, well, here's a solution. Cause if we don't really experience and fully understand the problem, then we're probably also not going to be the ones with the answer or with the solution. And so I don't think it's right for us to try to do that, but, um, but Douglas Wilson has some interesting thoughts. He said, you know, let's begin our systemic reforms by eradicating police unions, 
um, you know, making it easier for bad cops to be fired. Let's eliminate a lot of bureaucratic protections. Let's continue systematic uh, reforms by reversing the awful trend of militarizing local police departments. Let's strengthen our Fourth Amendment protections. Um, but basically he said, uh, and he quoted G.K. Chesterton uh, from his book, What I Saw in America, he said, but some American police methods are evil past all parallel, and the detective can be more crooked than a hundred uh, crooks. And so basically he said, you know, what happened to George Floyd shouldn't happen to anyone. And justice, of course, should be pursued in his case. And systemic reforms should be pursued to prevent it. Um, and it should also be done, you know, to prevent it from happening from anyone else. But what I was thinking about was, you know, it, it's hard. And again, I don't want to, I think to a certain degree when we say, oh, this shouldn't happen to anyone or you know, we should kind of make these laws for for everyone, it cheapens it a little bit too. And I want to be careful of that because I think that when when power can be abused, it will be abused. You know, we can't wait for racism to be eradicated. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about was like, it's never just, you can't just change people's hearts overnight, but you can also reduce the power that you put into the hands of, of wrong people. Um, but but also like we need to specifically help in and think about the black community. And, and again, I don't want to, there, there's a tendency, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I feel like there's a tendency to when these things kind of come up to just like generalize it and say, Oh yeah, that's so wrong. And let's, let's make sure and just kind of like set it in a new context for everyone. But again, it, it's kind of just like diluting it a little bit and it's kind of just um, cheapening it a little bit. And I think really what what needs to happen is we just need to listen. You know, like uh, the black community feels a lot of anger and bitterness. Like there's a lot of underlying things. They feel overlooked, targeted, treated differently, picked on. You know, I was thinking it's like it's that feeling when you and another kid in class are both talking, but then like only you get uh, you get punished or you get kind of called out. Dude, that was always me. <laughs> I was always the one getting called out. Of course. You know, but it's kind of like that favoritism, and that's probably the the ex, really the extent that I could understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think right now, honestly, our our job is just to listen. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of the, the the furthest I've gotten. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that depending on your personality, that's probably hard to do. Like, I think yeah, I think um, most of us like we want to get in the fight. We want to like share and whatever. So I think um, sitting back and just listening might be hard but i think you're right in that you know i've seen if you if you look around some of these videos that's like a common theme you see of of um whether it's like a white person causing causing vandalism and a black person saying hey don't do that or if it's um you know like uh you'll see black people like in these marches and whatnot basically speaking up saying like just stay out of the way like let us peacefully protest right and i think that um i don't know it's it's I think it's like a group bias thing to where like something big happens, you want to be involved and you want to be like in the mix. And I think um, like you're saying, just this is a time where the black community is, they're upset, rightfully so. And, and they're, they're wanting to speak out. And so I think we should allow it and then, and listen and do what we can to make changes. But I think, um, I don't know, like, I think we should all do better at probably share, keeping our opinions to ourselves, right? And cutting back a little bit on what we have to say because there's so much of that. And choosing our words wisely. Yeah, choosing wisely. I mean, I've seen countless, countless like threads, people arguing and just like, I don't know, but if you're going to make a post, like think about what really what are you trying to achieve? Because I think 
with emotions being heightened right now and people being so like frustrated and easily just um easily bothered right now and triggered like be like you said be very careful with what you say because it like what good are you really wanting to to achieve so yeah the hard part too you know and this is why i also want to pick to, to bring it up was because um with looting with violence with destruction um it, it's hard because no matter who's doing it it uh i mean i think that there are a lot of outside parties mm-hmm. i don't want to name names or put any labels on there but uh they're probably stirring the pot and trying to again kind of uh stir that pot of the us versus them mentality of oh well you know now people are are out there burning businesses and getting killed or killing mm-hmm. or looting or stealing and destroying people's lives and so like you, of course you can't fight sin with sin you can't fight fire with fire like it's not going to uh violence with violence does not solve it um but we can't let that be a distraction to the main thing that's going on cuz i really don't think that looting the violence with destruction is the cause of the black community who wants the well-being of uh, other black people. You know what I mean? It's it's other people with other agendas. Even if it was like, I think that we need to have grace, to be honest. We yeah. need to have forgiveness. Like, you know, we experienced it pretty close to home here with La Mesa. People burning down two banks and mm-hmm. a couple of buildings and uh, being violent and crazy in the streets. And a lot of people getting hurt. Um, and, uh, and the media is feuding like this, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of cops doing a lot of really wrong things as well. And like the media is just creating this feud between us, but we can't let that justify our attitude of saying, okay, well, you know, kind of like canceling it out. Yeah. It, it's still important. There's still an issue here and regardless of what happens, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna, I want to share, I have I feel like I've been pretty quiet most of this episode. I, I honestly, I don't have like a ton of thoughts on this because I think I feel like there's so much being said. Like I want to do my best to just like listen right now and not add to the mix, especially with like an undeveloped thought. Mm-hmm. But I do have one thing I want to share that is not fully developed, but um, I, th- I think it's relatable or it's understandable. So I think what happened with George Floyd and with that cop, I do, it's hard to say, right? It's easy to say, oh, that's a race problem. That's, you know, this guy was... This white cop wanted to kill this black this black man, and that's the end of it. And um, I forget who it was. Someone said to me, I, I, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but someone said like, no, like it's like even that wasn't like a race thing. It was like a sin problem. It was at, like at the core of it. And they were just mm-hmm. saying like this man, this cop. And if you read about his history, like he has, I think he had like eighteen like complaints in like the recent years, but from being a police officer, and he mm. he had wrongfully killed a couple people, and like a list goes on, and. With all of those complaints and issues, some of them had to do with other races, some of them didn't. Um, I, I heard his wife just divorced him, mm-hmm. um, or is divorcing him. Like a lot has happened, so I, I think like this is at the core. Like, I do think race is a factor, but I think at the core, it it is a sin issue, and it's is with you know that man had his sin, that man you know anger and and violence and whatever you know whatever it caused that. But I think like we hear all these you know these issues of uh, police officers like you know uh taking advantage of their power and the way they treat people and again all of this like we can find ways to say oh that was race that was not race but i think at the core of it it's a sin problem it's mm-hmm. it's just someone's dealing with sin and 
it's hard to tell someone that's hard for someone it's hard for you to look at that situation with george floyd and say that's not a race issue that's just like a sin problem and i think a lot of people like don't like hearing it so i, I think I, I liked that um uh pastor miles was just like blatantly saying like no that that's the issue you know yeah yeah but again I, like the just because it's a sin issue we can't kind of like justify mm-hmm. it as okay if it is a, a systemic problem and something that is hurting a lot of people because um you know it it still was wrong and again it's it really doesn't again it doesn't have that much George Floyd is one person mm-hmm. not not to cheapen at all but like like I said before there's been hundreds of other people as well and it was George Floyd that triggered this already, like all this sin in people's hearts on, again, on both mm-hmm. sides. And that's what needs to be dealt with. And we can deal with that in many ways. Obviously sin needs to be dealt with, but also there, I think there are entry points mm-hmm. like listening, like changing, like reform in, in different ways. And, um, you know, there are, there are sort of like these, these stepping stones that, and steps that we can take to start sort of addressing that sin, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Um, and, and Connie, you know, right before we recorded, she said, you know, she, she heard kind of, uh, there's the, the two kind of schools of thoughts. There's George Floyd's murder was wrong, but we need to stop the destruction in writing versus, uh, we need to stop mm-hmm. the destruction in writing, but George Floyd's murder is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's just wh- kind of where I want to end it is like, let's, let's remember what's important. Yeah. Here. What's the priority? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, we can lose a couple of buildings. We can handle the rioting and the destruction. We need to really address what's happening here, which is injustice, which is racism, which is the stronghold that the devil has created in people's lives of powerlessness and uh, systemic mm. discrimination. And um, so all that to say, that's the, that's the perspective of two <laughs> white guys as best as we can. Best that we can. Yeah. Best we can. Like we always say, like, with every topic we bring, um, it's, this is our, a lot of times I think we just, I think on the podcast, we're sorting through our thoughts. I think this is a prime example of that. Uh, other times, or most of the time, it's simply our opinion, you know, our our thoughts on the situation. So. And that's the best we're ever going to do. Yeah. That's okay. That's good. That's right. That's what it's all about. So if you have thoughts, which I'm sure many of you do, don't feel shy to re- reach out to us. Um, let us know what you think, what there is to be done ways that we can listen, things that we can do, uh, and we will see you in the next one.